Welcome to Razzle Frat. We're back to talk books, coffee, pop culture, and more. I'm Allie. And I'm Ashton. So it's been a while. <laughs> um, we're also in a different location, so I'm a little nervous that uh, you're going to hear like my neighbors because the walls are so thin. I moved, and even though we did record one here before, we're in a different room. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Um, but how are you doing? Uh, what a loaded question. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. Um, I'm really busy at work. Work has been really stressful, but it's also been more fun because my promotion finally took effect. So I'm working on some independent projects, which has been really nice. And I love the new assistant that we hired. And it's cool to get to be a mentor and a teacher to somebody. Um, so even though it's really stressful, I'm enjoying work more than I did as just an assistant. Um, and I'm glad that it's not January anymore. So I fucking hate January. So <laughs> we're in February now. So that's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. How are you? Um, okay. Um, I really hope you can't hear the plane going by. Um, <laughs> but so I'm going to be the one that's going to kind of clear up why we disappeared for a couple months. Um, and me especially, in case, you know, our two listeners are wondering. <laughs> but I know that we were having trouble. At least I was. I went through getting my master's, writing my thesis, and um, <laughs> and adjusting to living with my partner um, all over the course of a couple months. And that definitely took a toll for me. Like how you said, January's hard. Those were just hard. So um, we definitely needed a break. It didn't mean we stopped talking to each other. It just meant we stopped potting with each other. Um, and hopefully by the time this one releases, I've had I've finally released the other one that we recorded <laughs> um, way back in November, maybe. I think we talked about Thanksgiving on the last one. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is me being ambitious because whenever I you know go down that deep, deep hole of self-reflection or loathing or whatever you want to call it um I get into project mode because that's how I feel like I can fix the chaos that's around me so um I'm taking Ashton on the journey so I'm so sorry but we're gonna switch it up a bit and we're gonna try to get a bit more potting in together um so we're gonna try this like valiant attempt to make bi-weekly pods release I don't know how it's gonna work because I already failed to release the first one <laughs> <laughs> um so in case you didn't notice uh we're gonna we're gonna try to do it every other week um and see how that recording but we're gonna we're gonna also probably do a lot more potting from separate apartments because i think traveling is hard because it's now an hour i think train ride to get to us which is nuts but it's true yeah, it's crazy that we can be in the same city and be so far apart yeah, I mean, technically, I'm in a different borough, so that makes a lot of sense. But, like, um, it's almost as far to get to my mother's as it is to get to you, and she's in a different state. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway, I figured we can have some fun or whatever. Um, and I changed up some of the formatting a little bit to kind of spruce it up and also not put so much pressure on us because we're not feeling great about yourself or in general about life. Um, not to get heavy here. It's hard to like do things that you normally bring you joy because it's like you just have no motivation. And I know for me, I can't speak for you, but I can, I feel like I, you can be similar in this. Um, reading is one of those things. If I have no motivation to do things, reading is usually one of them. And then you feel depressed about it. Reading, not nothing. And then like, 
I don't know. It's just a giant like spiral circle thing. Yeah, I am the same way, and I think that it can also be tough for me to focus on reading. So even if I feel like, oh, I want to pick up a book and like take the time like I want to read, but then I'm reading the same page like three times because I'm not really paying attention. My mind is elsewhere. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try to recommit to reading um, and be more intentional about it in the coming weeks. And hopefully that will help. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I have two th- I have one thing. We, I'm going to try uh, it's been a while. <laughs> um, I want to try to start doing like little prompty things, mm-hmm. or, like questions and just about like the world or silly things, just because mm-hmm. like we, I love our off converse, off pod conversations, mm-hmm. which some of them are not meant for other people <laughs> to hear. <laughs> but the one thing I want to, I wonder, because like you're, you're a Starbucks girl, kind of. Yes. Um, I'm a convenience girl, so, and there happens to be a Starbucks in the same building as my office, so I've been going there a lot more just to avoid doing work. Hope my boss doesn't hear that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, your boss listens to our podcast. <laughs> I mean, he, he's, he's an enigma, so I feel like if he knew about this, he would listen, maybe? I don't know. He's pretty, he's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm curious, have you tried the new pistachio coffee? No, I haven't. And I'm not really a pistachio person. Like, they're all, like it's okay. But um, I get basically the same thing every time I go to Starbucks. Wow. I'm curious because it's like, I know people that will try all the new stuff. Did you ever try, like, um, what's it called? The mermaid one that just literally looks like pure sugar? Oh, was it like a frappuccino thing? Yeah. No, I don't really try those. In high school... I had those all the time. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. I wasn't much of a coffee drinker, but I still wanted to go to Starbucks. So <laughs> I would get like the semi-coffee frappuccino things. Yeah. Um, I did that too. Um, but that was because I wanted to become a coffee drinker because I was obsessed with Gilmore Girls at the time. And I thought that the only way for me to become a Gilmore Girl was to be obsessed with coffee. <laughs> so I started with frappuccinos as well. That was the gateway drug. Um, <laughs> but, no, but I'm curious. I haven't really tried that many of the new ones. The one that I tried was like the one released last year it was um like the brown sugar uh, coffee one in like a or maybe it was two oh it was two years ago because it's when i used to go on walks with Gigi when everything was closed and we could only be six feet apart all the time so we would go for long walks in prospect park and get coffee was, it was like the brown sugar shaken. That was it. Yeah, milk something. Yeah, it's still yeah. it's still around. Yeah. I, I, they didn't get rid of it, but like I remember being like, I'm gonna be ambitious and get the new thing. And I was just curious if you were ambitious and got the pistachio. No, I never get anything new. If I go somewhere and I know that I like something from there, I like will not try anything new. Oh. <laughs> like, I just get the same thing that. over and over again. Um, unless like. Like, especially with restaurants, if I go and I'm not really hungry, like, I'll give it a shot. But if I go and I'm hungry, like, I'm getting something I know I like. Or, like, if I know that I need caffeine, like, I'm getting something I know works. Like, I'm very boring once I find something I like. That's so interesting because, like, (laughs) it's interesting that you're boring. No, um, (laughs) because it's, like, for me, I know that I eat, like, the same thing. I can eat the same thing, like, every single day. And I'll do it for, like, a long period of time because I'm a big meal prepper. And I'm also fucking lazy. And I hate, like, having to think of something every night. So whenever I go out and someone else is cooking for me or someone else is providing that service for mm-hmm. me, I'm like, ooh, let me get this or let me get that. Like, let me be ambitious and, like, try things and spark curiosity. And I don't know. 
Um, it's interesting because it's like totally opposite. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I do know one person that tried the pistachio coffee and it was my coworker and he was just like, yeah, it tastes like pistachios. <laughs> so well, that's good. I was like, I mean, that's good, I guess. I don't know. I was just curious because I know you also like pumpkin spice. So I figured I do love pumpkin spice. It was also a little, not a ding, but I know you kind of like those. I do. I do. I am like basic white girl. Yeah, I am a basic white girl to my core, and I do like basic white girl things. Um, Also, I've just like been making my coffee at home because I'm like lazy and it's less expensive. Also, I don't have an office to go into, so I'm literally like in my apartment all the time. Yeah. So I like a lot of times if I don't wake up early enough to make my coffee, um, I will or not to drink it properly. Like I'll only be able to have like a couple sips where I have to head out the door. Uh, I'll be like, I'm not going to be able to function at this place until <laughs> get something in me. But um, usually it's just a cappuccino. I don't get anything too fancy. But anyway, we can move on um, because I've been talking a lot and I want you to talk now because I don't want to hear my own voice um, when I edit this later. <laughs> so I created this new segment again, project mode when I'm deep in dark spiral called I Smell Snow. If you know that reference, thank you. You might even know our name reference, Razzle Frat. Um, either way, they're both related. They're from the wonderful show Gilmore Girls. Um, I Smell Snow is probably more recognizable, though. Um, so this one is was inspired back in, I don't know, January when I was doing this, about the colder months, especially in New York City, when in theory, <laughs> there would be snow. Um, but this year has proven me wrong. Thank you. Global warming. Um, <laughs> so basically in the past, I know Ashton's similar to me, like whenever New York gets really, really cold, it gets very biting and it just becomes like a hassle to have to go out if you don't have to. So I, we like to become like shutting grandmas with our cardigans, candles, and for Ashton cats. Um, <laughs> so yes, we're reading and we're getting back into reading because we both lost a little bit of motivation um, a couple months ago. Uh, but we're also binging a lot of TV and movies on the couch for comfort because your girl got a couch over here, you have a couch and um, TV. So I figured this will be like a nice segment where we're talking about what we're watching when we're comfy and snuggled. So do you want to tell me what you've been watching lately? Yes. I've been doing a lot of watching <laughs> things on the couch. Um, I, after, so we went to see the Lord of the Rings concert at Radio City. And after we did that, that was the fellowship of the ring. So I went home and watched the extended editions of the two towers and the return of the King. And then I started the Hobbit, but I just don't like the Hobbit as much. It's just not as good. Not the book, the like series, like the the trilogy. I'm. It's good. It's good, but it. it I'm making faces at her. That's yes, just I. It's good, and I enjoy it, but I just don't enjoy them as much as the original like trilogy. So, um, I gave up on that. But I've also been watching you on Netflix. Do you I watch you with Penn Badgley? Yes. No. Oh my god, he is so he's hot in the new season. He's got a beard and long hair. And he's a professor. Isn't he like a stalker? Yes. (laughs) That's not hot, but just like objective physical appearance is much hotter than it has been in last seasons. And they did something kind of different with this season where they like turned it into kind of like a murder mystery. It's like almost like an Agatha Christie, like whodunit. Yeah, I love it. Um, And so... 
that's fun. And I hate Netflix is doing this thing now where they'll release the first half of a season and then wait a month and release the second half. So I, I know they did it with Stranger Things and with something else. And now they're doing it with you. So I'm waiting until March for the second half of the season. Bullshit. But the best thing I've been watching and I've been, I should say, I've been doing a lot of knitting recently. And so it's like, that's what I do when I knit is like watch TV. Um, The Last of Us on HBO. So fucking good. So good. And I binged it. Um, I didn't start it right away. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But then when I started it, I like could not stop. And now I'm one of those people that like when the clock strikes nine on Sunday nights, I'm like opening HBO Max to watch it. It's so good. So highly recommend. I've been recommended it by a couple of people. It's so good. And I like there's an episode like episode three is like perhaps the best episode of television I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It is so good. And I'm not a video game player, but it like makes me want to play the game. I yeah, I you keep going. <laughs> that's, that's really I mean, I also restarted Grey's and the Vampire Diaries. Um for like when I'm like in between things and not really paying attention as much, um, trying to give the Vampire Diaries a good go. <laughs> like I, now in the second season, I'm like remembering why I quit. <laughs> yeah. But um, I I gotta see it's Delena. Strange. I have to get there. I've only ever <laughs> seen them on TikTok. I've only gotten through like the first few episodes of season three before, so I'm like I'm gonna trudge through. I'm gonna make it. Yeah. Um, I don't even like them as a couple, but I, I made it through. Well, I guess I do like them as a couple, and also I just prefer Ian over Paul, so. Yeah. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I prefer Paul, but um, The Last of Us, so I need to know, are you in, like, that category of people that are just simping over people? Yes. I want to know, okay, so what is the appeal? Because here's here's my thing. I get the personality and he does have that swagger and he's funny and like very sure of himself. Like I've seen his interviews. He's in movies. But I just think he's hot. I don't know what it is. I don't. I don't see it. And I'm I, and I feel like something's wrong with me because I don't. Because so many people are in love with him. I'm like, I'm not saying he's ugly. Don't get me wrong. I think he's attractive in like in a, like a general sense that I think a lot of people can be attractive. Um, but he's just not attractive to me to the point where I want to throw my panties at him. (laughs) I will say I thought the same thing when I kind of started watching the show and like when he first kind of started being in the press, but then I saw so many TikTok edits of him that I was like, oh, okay, I can see this. And then when I would like watch the show again, I'd be like, okay, like also like, I think a part of it is like his voice too. Like, I don't know. He's got like. At least in the show, too, he's got, like, a really, like, kind of deep voice. And he has a southern accent, which I'm a sucker for, yeah, obviously. So, um, I don't know. I just... Um, and he's, like, very protective of the girl in the show. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, like, yeah. I'm, I'm a stan. I love the audio of him where he's like, daddy is a state of mind. Yeah, I'm your daddy. <laughs> um, did you see him in the SNL skits? Yes. <laughs> Those are funny. Um, but yeah, for Vampire Diaries, honestly, only reason I watched it is because I wanted to watch the originals, but the originals is like a spinoff, like from like season five of Vampire Diaries. So I basically watched seasons one through five of Vampire Diaries just so I could watch the originals and like understand where the fuck that was coming from. 
I mean, you obviously don't have to do that, but like me being me, I did. And then I watched all the originals and I was like, oh no, now what? And so I went back. I was like, well, I made it to five seasons. I might as well do the last three. So that's the only reason I got through the Vampire Diaries. Well, and Nina leaves, right? She leaves the last season. Um, Just the last season, okay. I think. But like, yeah, again, it's not like, I don't know. It's not like amazing television. No, it's it's, it's very bad television, but I love it. <laughs> Sometimes I just love very Honestly, television. I also crack the fuck up whenever I watch season one again and she has like the pin straight hair and like it's 2009 because it's when I was in high school Ooh. and I'm like seeing the outfits and I'm just like, oh my God, why did we think this was attractive? Why did we think this was fashionable? I will um, say the sucks. music slaps. It does. And that's another reason why I like to watch it is because... Yeah. Um, Especially in like seasons one and two, like the music is just so good. Yeah. But... Anyways, I have gone on a very different path than you with TV. <laughs> so um, I did watch a lot of movies, especially this past weekend. Um, Jimmy and I did a 24-hour movie marathon where we planned out 10 movies to watch. And we scheduled breaks. Like, I took an hour-long walk break. We scheduled, like, times to, like, breathe in between. I did, like, a little dance motivator at, like, 2 a.m. trying to get myself to keep going. Um and it was I don't want to I don't want to say all the movies because like it's 10 movies but we basically just decided it by the concept of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon so we chose like whoever was in like an actor in one movie had to be in the next movie and it was somehow we ended up with the most random looking list but as we were watching it it felt like a flow and it was really weird what did you start with the secret world of Arietti which is a studio it's a studio Ghibli movie it's a um it's an animated movie and it's so funny because it's like we started with an animated movie and we ended with Meryl Streep as our actor so we did Into the Woods (laughs) because we were like in a by the time we got to the end we had been watching like a play movie and we like transitioned to a musical because like it was like the end of our rope and we had originally scheduled like a very serious one but the last one was so serious we watched August Osage County And it was, like, very intense, very serious. And we were both like, we need to, like, be happy again. So we watched, like, a Disney musical. But um, anyways, that was our movie stuff. And then I binged uh, the Ginny and Georgia season two TV show. show. I've heard it's, like, a really bad knockoff of Gilmore Girls. So... I did too. And that's why I started it because I was like, I love Gilmore Girls. How can I not love it? If you go in thinking that you're not going to like it, because it took me a while to build. If you go in thinking it's just another show, you might like it. Um, It's hard to get past some of the isms that are in it. There's no other way to say that. Um, The mom is like very like Southern and which... I know you sometimes like. Well, in this case, no. Like, I, that's what I've seen a lot of, like, her, and I'm just like, I'm just, I don't want to watch. She just sings, like. Yeah, and, like, it's a very, like, Gen Z forward type of show with the teens. Like, it's a very rich area. The skill, yeah, like, they're very aware about things, and, like, you know, it's very. But if you just watch it for the sake of watching, it's actually not that bad. Um, it's interesting, and there's, like, mystery to it, and there's, like, murder and, and sketchiness intrigue. and intrigue and love stories and, and actually touches on, like, you know, trauma and triggers and, and uh, mental illnesses and stuff like that. So it's not a bad show. Um, it's just not – it's definitely not like Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So I wouldn't go in thinking that. 
Um, and then I actually just finished this morning <laughs> um, the Shadow and Bone series. Ooh. So I read the author, Leah Lee Bardugo, mm-hmm. um, but I read the Ninth House series. Ooh. I just read the second book that came out in January, Hellbent. And um, I've been told, like, I like dark fantasy. I like that kind of stuff. It's dark academia vibes. Um, so I've been recommended it many times. I just haven't read it. Um, but I turned on the show last night for some reason. And I just gave myself away the fact that I turned it on last night. And <laughs> you binged it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, uh, it was good. It was really good. It's like a bunch of different stories. And I was doing some research on it. And apparently they take like her different books, which are different worlds within the same world or different timelines within the same Mm -hmm. world and different characters. And they meld it all together into this one show. And it works. It's really cool. And I mean, as someone who didn't read the book, so I enjoyed it. I mean, maybe if I read the book, I'd be like, they did this wrong. But like, you know, I was reading reviews and some people were like, they did this really good job like of combining Mm -hmm. the books. So... Anyways, and then I just found out the season two is coming out in a month. So I was like, oh, wow, great timing for me. <laughs> so, um, is that on Netflix? Yeah, it's a Netflix series. Hopefully so. they won't do that, like break it up into two parts thing. I don't think it's that popular. No yeah. offense. Like, I don't think it's like you. Yeah. No. Um, and also using season four now. So like, that might be it. Like, I swear if they do that to fucking Bridgerton, though. <laughs> Which they honestly might I think they're still filming season three. I don't even think they're done with season three because I think that's why they pushed the the like prequel story out first, which come out in May. Um, eh, but I mean, okay, so we'll see. That was pretty good for me because I don't really watch TV that much anymore, and that's not me being a snob. That's just like I have a hard time focusing. Yeah. Um. And binging, like, I'm, like, either I binge it all in one go, like I did, or, like, it took me, Ginny and Georgia came out in January, the first week of January or something like that. It took me two months to finish, like, ten episodes. So, I mean, whatever. I'm still, like, working my way through other series. I think you saw, you came in today and I was watching, like, Veronica Mars while mm-hmm. working on stuff, so... Eh, TV's not always the best for me, but um, if you get me to sit down, yeah. I'll go through it. I will, I will. But if I, the minute, the minute I'm like, I'm done, yeah, you won't see me for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> like, it took me four or five years to finish The Vampire Diaries. Wow. <laughs> like, I had to keep going back. I had to keep, and I'm one of those people that's like, if I've never seen it before, mm-hmm. I can't do other things while I watch it. Because like, I won't, I will get distracted, won't pay attention. Yeah. Like, I have coworkers that, like, they blow through these shows and they're like, I'm like, I can't keep up with you guys. And how do you even do it? And they're like, because we do it while we work. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can only work while I watch something I've seen already. Yeah. So I wanted to give it to my, give it my attention. Yeah. I don't know if that. That part I just doesn't really deserve my full attention. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, knitting is, like, really mindless and repetitive. So, like, I really can't pay attention while I do it. It counts a lot, don't you? No. Okay. Sometimes, but not in what I've been doing recently. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, maybe I should stop talking about that because I start knitting and then I don't touch it for two years. And then I'm like, oh, someone teach me again, please. But you might have to have another lesson with me because the more you talk about it, the more I want to do it. Because I love the cardigan that you made me and I want to make my own shit. Yeah, it's, I I really love it. And I love like making gifts for people too. Mm. So, do you want to, sorry, I had to take a deep breath. Um, 
Do you want to talk about the book that we have for today that we originally had for December? Yes. <laughs> it's February. Um, this will be released at the end of February, so technically, basically March. Um, we read Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. And I'll just uh, give you a brief synopsis of what it was that I pulled straight from Amazon because I'm lazy. So in this vivid portrait of a single day in a woman's life, Mrs. Clarissa Dalloway is preoccupied with the last minute details of preparation for a party while in her mind, she is something much more than a perfect society hostess. As she readies her house for friends and neighbors, she is flooded with remembrances of the past, the passionate loves of her carefree youth, her practical choice of husband, and the approach and retreat of war. And with, met with the realities of the present, Clarissa re-examines the choices that brought her here, hesitantly looking ahead to the unfamiliar work of growing old. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know if you want to kick off our conversation about it. Yeah. yeah, I'll talk about it. I really was struck by the format of the book. Like, going in, I was like, Ugh, it's just like over the course of one day, like, I don't know how... I'm going to feel about this. I'd never really read a novel like this before that only takes place over the course of one day, but I actually really liked it. Um, and I kind of understand like why this book was so groundbreaking because um, there's so much beauty in the everyday and that's what Wolf is really showcasing. And I thought that she did it really well. Um, like even when people are going out and running errands and talking to one another, like there are all these deep thoughts below the surface that are going on. So I don't know. I think she did something that to me seems really hard to just make a novel that happens over the course of one day. She did it really well. Um, and she really made me care about the characters in a way I didn't think I would when I picked it up, really. Um, so that was my first point, that the uniqueness of it being over the course of one day. I'm really racking my brain. I can't think of any other book I've read that's like this mm -hmm. in that way. The book I lent you that you did not read is like that. Um. <laughs> okay, caveat, I have not read it because it's about a school shooting. and It's not only about a school shooting. I know it's not only about a school shooting, but like I feel like I've just not, I haven't been wanting to read generally. Like I don't want to pick up something that dark. Okay, fair. Anyway. But yes, um, no, I think I think that's interesting that you brought up the format because, uh, yeah, it was over the course of one day, but it was also no break. It had no break. It was one continuous, not stream of consciousness, but it was like there were no chapters. There were no transitions. It was literally just like spitting out shit on the page. So like it makes me wonder, I didn't do enough research on the making of this book mm -hmm. of like how Wolf like chose to write it this way. Was it meant to be published? Um, or was this just like a story that she just like kept adding on to without any formatting? And I was, and that kind of made it hard in the beginning for me to do it and keep keep going but then it also made it easier as you got into it because this is like you didn't have a stopping point so you kind of had to keep going yeah I think maybe that's what she intended or but like I was the same like I picked it up and I always like flip ahead to see like when the next chapter break is because I'm like okay like I'll go to bed after this chapter <laughs> I was like okay that's the whole book yeah um so it was it was hard to read and like pick up and put down in that sense which I had to do many times so um I guess it was intended to be read almost in one city and it's short so you definitely could yeah yeah it wasn't once you get into it it's it's not terrible but I think that's 
interesting because it's like um, how you said it was over the course of one day, but she's contemplating the course of her life. Yeah. In the course of one day. Yeah, so it is. So, it's one day, but it spans years. It's a lifetime in a day. Yeah. It's 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 complex when you when you delve further into it. Um, yeah. Have conversations like we are, I guess. Yeah. But, but it's interesting because she didn't even do like chapter breaks for different like POVs. Mm-hmm. Like it's all like one, like you would think like yeah. there would at least be like a page break, but no. Right. And that's like kind of one of my points that I had written down about her different points of views mm-hmm. that she had. It's like you get Clarissa's who's Mrs. Dalloway but you also get Peter and Hugh and um, Lucretia and uh, even Septimus at one point. Um, but the two that I noticed a lot were Clarissa and Peter, which, ow, um, <laughs> I just hit my elbow on the wall. Um, Clarissa is obviously the main person. She's Mrs. Dalloway. She's what the book is in, centered on. It's about her specific day and how these people revolve around her in some way or another or somewhat connected, whether directly or um indirectly and i think that what's interesting from her point of view is that even in the synopsis it says like you know it's the job of becoming older and also like how she's just so much more than a hostess and it's interesting because at the time this was written probably in the 20s 30s before world war ii probably closer in the 20s i want to say because it's thank you um, it's been a while since I read it. Um, I read it a couple months ago. So it's directly after World War One, which is to them the Great War. Yeah. World War Two hasn't happened the yet. War, yeah. The war to end all wars. So like for her, she's um a woman that is con uh, I personally took her as like someone who's ambitious and dreaming, but she's also scared in her life. Like she's scared to step out of her life, of what is expected of her, of what is considered comfortable for her. Um, she comes from an affluent family. She married into an affluent family. And she's never kind of gone further than that. But what's so interesting is, like, I almost wonder if she represents what Virginia Woolf was scared of becoming. Mm-hmm. Because um, she was, like, how... Like, I wrote down a couple quotes because, like, it's between her and Peter that I noticed the most. Not turmoil, but, like, uh, back and forth and tension. So Peter is, like, her old, I want to say sweetheart. They never explicitly said that they loved each other to each other. But they were, you know, it was kind of expected that they were going to go together, that they were in love with each other, that he was what she was interested in and vice versa. And how, like, they were the romantic, too. But she was so scared of the type of person Peter was because he wasn't stable. He wasn't rich, per se. He was gentlemanly enough that he could run in their circles. But, like, he was kicked out of Oxford and he wasn't going to fight in the war, but he was just not stable for her. And that's what she wanted in the long run because that's what she was kind of bred for. Um, And I thought, like, these two quotes, they're from two different parts of the book, right? One is, like, her reminiscing of um, an argument with him where, like, she basically is telling him how, like, she's going to marry Richard Dalloway and how, like, um, uh, like, she would never, like, she or and, like, how, like, she was going to marry for love Mm -hmm. and how he 
he kind of like laughs in her face a little bit. He's like, you're not going to marry for love. You're going to marry for comfort and stability because that's what you're told to do. And so her quote is how he scolded her, how they argued. She would marry a prime minister and stand at the top of the staircase. The perfect hostess he had called her. She cried over it in the bathroom, in the bedroom. Can't read. Um, She had the makings of a perfect hostess, he said. And to her, that's like the greatest fucking insult. It's like in today's age being like, oh, you're going to be a great trophy wife or a great housewife. And for a lot of women, that's an insult. I'm not saying it's an insult in general. I'm just saying for a lot of women that is considered an insult because it's that. Um, Whereas like him, he's just, I (laughs) couldn't determine if he was like a romantic or just like a flighty man. Like, he's, like, a flight risk. Yeah. Um, I think he's a flight risk because, like, of the whole situation where his current wife, when he married, he didn't love her. He just married because... Because he didn't want her to marry anyone else. Yeah, he didn't want her to marry anyone else. He married this woman. She's now in a nursing home, which they're not old. They're, like, 40, 50 years old. (laughs) Um, They're old in 1925. And so he goes goes to fucking India, right, for work Mm -hmm. because, like, he has to find work somewhere. And he... Basically seduces slash falls in love with a married woman in India, convinces her to leave her husband, but he has to go back to divorce his wife first, goes back and immediately starts second guessing everything because he sees Clarissa again. And it's like, you stupid bitch. But like, he, I think what shows that he's always been in love with her and he always wants what he can't have um, is when he's also remembering that time when they were both in love with each other and not admitting it when she and him go to talk for a bit down by the lake and he says and she said and the quote is come along she said they're waiting he had never felt so happy in the whole of his life without a word they made it up um they walked down to the lake he had 20 minutes of perfect happiness the fact that he only amounts it in time of perfect happiness like just shows that he's waiting for the other shoe to drop and i just but also like the fact that this all happens without a break this happens without like a transition or a chapter name or anything like that is like it's interesting because i don't know what's real yeah it made it really difficult as a reader too without those like signals you usually get from an author that we're switching like point of views because it took me a second to be like oh okay we're with peter now like okay Mm -hmm. cool like okay we're with lucretia okay like guy like it just like made me go back and read it again i don't really know what she was trying to do but (laughs) i'm sure it had a point yeah i mean she has points and everything i think i think with your timing thing though um in the point of views it's showing how like Time can sometimes change a perspective, Mm -hmm. but it also can sometimes alter um, of what really happened. Like if you look back on something that happened in the past and you're like, oh, my God, why did I ever think that was going to devastate me in that moment? Like that was like, you know, some boy with a boil on his face that like told me he didn't like me. Mm -hmm. And I was 13 and went home and ate snickerdoodles till I cried it's like I never thought I'd get over that and then like you think back and it's like he was gross (laughs) like you know what I mean it's like the same kind of concept so like hindsight's 2020 and then and then same thing it's like it's the removal of time that can change or alter someone's perspective and I think that like by her thrusting us into one small book uh, multiple timelines 
it just like it constantly made me be like, okay, wait, are we are we for this or are we against this? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. what's uh what's the stance? And I think the whole point was like there can't be just one way to look at it. Yeah. Even though you're only given one way to read it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Um <laughs> but I don't know if you wanna um talk about your next point. Yeah, I think um I don't know. I found it really interesting, right? Like she's growing older. And so she's thinking about that. And she's thinking back on her youth and her regrets and what brought her here. And, um, but I don't know, I thought it was really interesting how she would kind of meditate on death and think about like what she's leaving behind. Um, and I don't know, like there would be points in the book where she would talk about like how, I don't know how to explain it. Um, like, because she had been to a place, like, her, she would linger there even after death. Like, um, I don't know. You're gonna have to elaborate. I know. I'm trying to think of how to say it. Like, um, physically? No, not physically, but like, she, like, the memory of her and the memory, yeah, the memory of her. Like, other people will have known her when she died, right? And they will like tell stories about her, but also the places that she's been, even if people don't know it she will have been there. Like she's made her mark just by like being in the square that she talks about how she loves so much or like being at the church and the, like she will still she's part of a history, even if it's invisible. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I don't know. I wish I had a quote. I should have like gotten a quote to think about it, but um, there are just these pieces where she's like, even when I'm gone, like this square will still be here and I will have walked on it. Like the square will remain or these places and these people will remain after I'm gone. Um, that will have known me. So in a way it'll be like, I'm still here. I don't know. I, I'm not saying it very well, but I thought that just the way that she was thinking about death was really interesting. Um, I don't know. And almost like comforting in a way, like that's a comforting thought to think that even when you're gone, the places where you walk will remain. And because of that, you're not really gone. Yeah, I guess so. Someone paves over it, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I just think it's, I don't know. Yeah. No. That's, what I'm saying. I, yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember those musings in the book from that perspective. So like, I can't expound on it or even try to That's help okay. I mean, I think like, I just finished it like yesterday. Like we read <laughs> it at different times too. But like, I mean, it's not like long paragraphs, but it, it will be like thoughts where... Um, kind of like fleeting thoughts in and out when she's like walking. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she's like forty and thinks she's dying. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you do, and you know, as a woman. Yeah. Um. Um. So <laughs> I could have said it better. I. Um. But I, I think that it's it's not a classic kind of thought about death. No. Yeah. It's not, and I think that's also speaks to though it would kind of relate more towards the author. Yeah. Because she had she struggled with those things herself. Like she was bipolar, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, and she did throw herself in the river. So um I think she probably let a bit of herself onto the page because like I don't want to say Clarissa was shallow, but that seems very out of character to have those deep thoughts about death and legacy in that like it she didn't strike me as a character that was like 
profound in that way. That's so interesting because she did strike me as that. I thought she was just... mm. Well, I think, like, she's kind of made to be, right? Like, she is, like, the perfect hostess. She married for comfort. But I think, like, throughout the book, you get so much of, like, her inner lives and, like, the regrets that she has in life. And they are true regrets. And she wishes that she would have done things differently, but she couldn't. Now she's stuck in this position of what is she going to do with it. But I think there's, like... It's interesting Wolf is showing us like what Peter sees on the outside, which is, you know, the perfect hostess and just planning a party and making sure all the details are right. But really throughout her day, she's like less worried about how the flowers are than like thinking about Sally and Peter and like all of these things in her life that we don't see. Um, I don't know. I, I thought she was a profound character. Um, I, I thought I didn't say she was a profound character. I just didn't think she was capable of those profound thoughts. I, th- I, I think like... With the way it ends, though, yeah, she regrets a lot. That's true. But she also says in the end, I would do it all over again. Yeah. She would marry Richard Dalloway all over again. Yeah. And I think that's why, like, when I was kind of going through my notes about her her perspective and the fact that this whole book centers around her, is that, like... She, again, she's ambitious in her dreaming and her thoughts and, like, ambition-wise. I don't want to say, like, she's dumb. or incapable of those thoughts about death and life and um, legacy. I just think that they're more fleeting than they are rooted in her. And so, like, she's so scared to go beyond what she is told, to go beyond what she thinks is safe that she'll never dive deeper into those thoughts. She'll never act on them, let alone, like, um, expound on them and just always remain, I don't want to say stagnant, but having a whole day centered around planning a party. Yeah. And I know that sounds really mean. (laughs) No. Um... But I think, like, at least that's from, and again, we're allowed to have different opinions. I think your opinion is really interesting because that's really cool that you read it completely different than me and her character very differently. I don't know what that says um, to, like, our reading habits, but I'm more cynical probably. (laughs) Um, Well, I also, it makes me wonder, too, like... Like, it says a lot about, like, society at that time, too, right? Like, she would do it all over again and she chooses a safe option. But is it because it's what she wants or because she's afraid that, like, Peter would leave her or, you know, she couldn't be with Sally. So she really couldn't. So she, like, would be kind of an outcast in society if she didn't marry or if she had, um, you know, if she didn't have that level of comfort. So is it more out of, like, I see it less as, like, her, like, superficially choosing this life because it is more affluent and less and more of, um, like you said, like the stability because of what could happen as a woman in that time if she didn't. Right. And I think that that's probably showcasing how, how we read it. Cause I think I'm reading it in more of a modern lens mm-hmm. and you're reading it with sympathy to the time. Yeah. And I can read it like that. I can look at it like that. And then I would agree with you. I think that one of the issues though, of reading, not an issue, but one of the factors of reading something that's a hundred years old or set a hundred years ago is that like, if even if we don't read it with a modern lens and we read it within the times, 
how do we know that it was impossible because we're told that it was impossible and all the history books and everything that has been published or talked about at that time and showcased shows that it was impossible. But that doesn't mean it was. It could just mean it wasn't doc. The possibilities weren't documented. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting also how we as readers are shaped based on what we're told. Yeah. And what we learn is, and and that's dictated by historians or by whatever's available to us. So like similar to Clarissa and how she, her decisions and her view of things are dictated by what she's told and what she's allowed to know. Yeah. Uh, it's like, um, maybe. Yeah. Maybe she, I don't know. Maybe she would have. Maybe she would have thrived if she acted on those things back then. Um, we won't know. But anyway, oh, <laughs> we went down a rabbit hole on that one. But yeah, you're right in that saying, like, it wasn't a happy ending um, for almost anyone. Yeah. Um, Septimus. Particularly, yeah, we could uh, transition off Clarissa for a second. First off, the name Septimus, uh, no words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he was the character that you actually don't get his perspective until the very end of his point. Um, you mostly get his wife, uh, Lucrezia or Lucrezia or whatever. She's Italian. They met when he was after the war, stationed in Italy. And came home with him. Um, I think what was interesting about him and her, and mostly I wanted to talk about her a little, was that, like, um, she is living with this man who is suffering, obviously to us, from PTSD. Yeah. And that was, like, a new thing coming from the war and how it all caught up with him in the end. And what I mean by that is that... um, he, like, when we get his perspective, he thinks back to during the war when he had no qualms about killing. He, like, felt nothing. He said that he was okay. He, like, went through all these things and he thought he was doing healthy things and all this stuff. And then the minute he got back home and was seeing his old life and what it was and was with this new wife who's part of, who essentially for him is also connected to the war because that's how he met her. He just falls apart. He just becomes so depressed and basically just suicidal. And uh, to the point where he resents her, he resents himself, he resents the war, he resents London. It's just like this whole big thing. And I think what's interesting is that, yeah, that Virginia Woolf is talking on that because not many people address that at that time um, or even later on. But also like the glimpse of... Lucrezia and how her own mental illness is, I don't want to say caused by him because I don't think that's fair, but it's definitely like he's a catalyst yeah. for her because by him being so miserable and sad and whatever, she's now experiencing loneliness that she's never had before. She was a hat maker and she's very happy to make hats. She lived with her sisters and her mother and she wasn't, she was content. 
And I'm not saying she would be like that forever. She never met him, but like she's now thrust into this new place with the man that she loves and that she adores and she's stuck and she's trying to help him. And she's like willing to go to all these doctors with him and fight for him essentially. And it's given her such a loneliness because she's the only one fighting. And it's like, I wonder, would she have felt that way if she was not with him at all? Or would she have developed it anyway? Like, was it going to happen? Yeah. Um, and I'm giving away the ending of Septimus, but spoiler uh, alerts for this 100-year-old book. Was his death going to be her freedom from this loneliness or just an introduction to a new version of it? Yeah. And I feel like this whole dynamic, because they're not really connected to Clarissa. No. Barely connected. I think because they meet someone next to her. Like, I think they meet Peter. Yeah. Um, is it Virginia? I feel like Virginia Woolf is just like taking stock of mental illnesses that she's witnessing and just um, the fact that she puts this into the book as even as not a footnote, but a very, very side character part is kind of like how she's addressing the fact that like anyone can be affected. It's not um, something that you can just lock away in a sanitarium and no one will, it won't touch you if it's touched someone near you. And I think that's very brave of her to put that in her book at such a time when like, women's hysteria was still a thing mm-hmm. so i i don't i don't know if you have any thoughts on that no i think that's true and brave especially because like because it's not just him being suicide like he does commit suicide in the end and i think like her showing this really dark portrait of shell shock as they would call it then ptsd yes. like um is i mean i don't know I'm not, I'm not a literary historian but i would say like probably fairly new and like for like obviously new because the warden but like um like I feel like it was in my mind and this may be totally wrong but it was kind of like a very hush hush thing and kind of taboo to talk about and she kind of shows the realities of that and not just how it affects Septimus but how it affects his wife and ultimately how it comes to affect Clarissa so um I don't know I think like in a lot of ways like the book was groundbreaking and that's one of them like speaking on this topic that like no one really wants to confront because it's supposed to be like a very patriotic thing and a very like noble sacrifice thing but it came at a cost um and i think it's really interesting how she explores that especially because she she takes away the the gender role for him because it's like the only other time i've read about this kind of stuff is like with hemingway Mm-hmm. And he always has the man, like, drinking heavily and, like, doing all these toxic things. And then it's always, like, he blows his brain out. Or he does something violent and aggressive. Whereas, like, Septimus, I don't even know if it was intentional, him to die. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if it was a true suicide. Because he was just trying to get away from doctors. Yeah. He was so scared and paranoid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it was a true suicide, or at least, like, he would have been fine if it was. Like, he's like, I'd be fine. Like, I don't know. I feel like I think it's a true suicide. That's how I read it. Like, he'd rather die than be incarcerated, essentially, in the sanitarium um, and have people, like, tell him that, like, what he's experiencing isn't real or, um, 
like no one really can understand him so he'd rather die than like you know be locked up in a place like that yeah i guess um we should also show a trigger warning for this um we'll put it in the show notes but i okay maybe i'm remembering it wrong but didn't he like jump out the window yeah and land on spikes like fence fence spikes think so so that's what makes me think that like it might not have been <sighs> intentional because i think he was just jumping out the window <laughs> to get away from <laughs> i don't know yeah. i don't know because i've also seen you know virgin suicides i guess it, it depends on how high up the window was yeah <laughs> like uh, yeah. if you jump from like <laughs> third or fourth floor like it's probably intentional um i don't know oh, he either meant to kill or seriously injure himself to the point of like incapacitation and yeah, either way that's like true. that's true you know all right well yeah, but long story short, <laughs> yeah. I think this was like for two characters that were not the main ones, yeah. in in at least in our opinion, yeah. two characters that were barely co- direct like connected to Clarissa were not even invited to the party yeah. to have such a profound impact and to like um also have a strong theme connected to them in the book uh says a lot about where wolf was setting her priorities as a writer i think because i mean she obviously talks about the most i feel like is the most prevalent motif is feminism and the patriarchy um i think so i mean that's it's seen with uh the woman who only hosts men to her parlor oh, stuff yeah. lady millicent Bruton. Bruton. um she's the woman that loves patriarchy she's like uh i can't even she was she was such a like a small piece but like she only prefers the company of men like what the fuck is that and then she thinks that wives are silly it's like like you're a wife yeah i just want to be like okay (laughs) and like there's irony in that because it's like the only reason that she has the power to invite people over she has a house is because she married a lord because she's a lady right that's how that works Mm -hmm. um so she's in she's living in the patriarchy that she's for because it exists with the aristocracy and that's how she exists she only exists because of men yeah to be able to judge women as a woman i she was ridiculous (laughs) i couldn't yeah i know and i'm like you can't even write like (laughs) these men are hoping you write letters like to the times like Like, i can't stupid bitch like i just (laughs) she was and that's why like with clarissa i was like you put it down in your notes, or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was when I was reading an article about it. Um, how Clarissa wanted to be invited to these things. I, don't, I, why, why would you want? But like she even says in the book, like how she doesn't like her. Yeah. So I'm like, bitch, why would you want to be out just because everybody else is? Status. That's terrible. Like, why would you want to be invited to a place where a woman literally hates you, and hates your existence because you're a woman yeah. and a wife. Yeah, I guess just, like, status, like, being, like, in closer proximity to the power. Yeah, that's true. It's, like... Well, and also, I think just, like, because her husband goes and she can't... She's like, well, what are they doing there? Like, I want to be where my husband... Like, keeping an eye on them, maybe? Like... Yeah, but isn't she supposed to be, like, ugly? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, honestly... Or, like, she resents the fact that Richard can go and she can't. So she... 
maybe she's like the wolf version of um a pygmy girl yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think she oh, is. yeah. That would make sense why yeah. Clarissa would be like, I don't like her, but I need to be there. Yeah. Because it's like, she'll do anything again to the good graces of men. Um, sorry, I don't want to put women down, but it's like, it's like the concept of the women that are against like women's rights because they think that men should take care of us. And I'm like, have you met men? They cannot take care of themselves, let alone another person. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Wolf is. You haven't read anything else by her, right? No. Um, I read A Room of One's Own, which is very, very feminist. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's known for that kind of writing. But this is, like, interesting because we get the perspective of men and women. And I think what's really good about this is that she's touching on in the world where she's trying to write about feminism. She's writing about the antagonists to feminism. And how those can also be women. It's not always men that are against feminism. It's also yeah. women. And um, I think that's that's very, prof- like, I don't want to say profound. Again, I said like 500 times. Insightful. I think it's very insightful to say that because it's hard to admit that when, as women, you're going to have opposition. It's hard enough to have 50% of the population or not even that because not everybody identifies as man um or woman like you it's it's hard enough to have another large portion of people against you and people in power yeah and people in power then like to also have people that could be on your side that could benefit from you i guess it's the same concept of like when white women are shit to black women and stuff like that but um anyway that's a deeper more intense conversation um but i do like the little tidbit that you put at the end that your third point i don't know if you want to yeah i'll just touch on it briefly um so i think that it's it's not like a huge plot point but i really loved um reading about clarissa and sally and having like the main character like obviously like the name the novel is named for her um maybe she's not i I wrote my notes like she was gay maybe she's not maybe she's like maybe i mean maybe she's like bi or whatever it doesn't matter like she's i'm not saying she's a lesbian and she's married to richard despite her like she may really love i don't know anyway are you talking about clarissa yeah like what do you, what? I thought you were talking about Elizabeth. Well, both. I don't think Clarissa's, I think Clarissa's bi-curious. I think yeah. Elizabeth is bi. Yeah. Or, yeah, at least interested in women. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, But I guess I just, I don't want to get caught up too much in the labels, but, like, that there's, like, going against the grain of this, like, heteronormativity in the time period is so radical, and it's not, like, it's not a character that is like a villain or some sort of like perverted creep. Like it's, it's like illegal to be gay at this time. Right. Like it's a crime. And, um, she talks about it with, I think like, I thought it was really moving, like talking about Sally and her love for Sally and thinking back on that. Um, I found it really moving and I don't know. I thought that it was just really beautiful of Wolf to kind of explore that without it being, um, at least in my modern viewpoint at the time, I'm sure people were like disgusted by it, but like it, some people, not all could have not even caught on Yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, yeah, we're so used to reading everything through this lens now, but, um, I don't know. I think it was very much on Wolf's mind and I think it was really like 
another brief thing that she did in the book. Yeah, yeah. I definitely I definitely got that feeling from Sally. Like those kinds of feelings towards Clarissa. I didn't know if we're if Clarissa fully reciprocated or not. My reading um, is that she... I think you can read it. No, I think she is. did on some level. That's for sure. Um, I don't think she would have pursued it, though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's similar to uh, Basil in Oscar Wilde's Picture of Dorian Gray. How, like, they... He was very clearly in love with Dorian as well as, like, other men. But Oscar Wilde cleverly... Or whatever... Um, allowed readers to interpret that as he was just an artist that appeared, yeah. appreciated beauty and how men can be beautiful. So, um, you know, but uh, I think that's, I think it's sad that we have to kind of like give um, snaps for a time period where these point, these things are, are prevalent to the reader because it's like, it's sad that like, this wasn't the norm to notice these things or to have these things as, as we, as you said for us to automatically look for and understand, like, you know, so I think it's interesting, but, um, I always like to kind of dive deeper into those and see where, uh, our modern lenses can kind of take us with these books. Um, and I don't, and you know, make us enjoy it more because sometimes historical shit like will piss me off like the patriarchal yeah. stuff that I was yeah. reading you know you know mm-hmm. so it's nice to kind of get something out of it out of the reading um that can see be seen as beneficial or uh positive in a not so always positive book um but do you want to let me know what you rated it as I know we're gonna have a very long podcast but it's been a while so yes we've got much to catch up on I gave it a three quarters razzle because I really did enjoy it. Like I've mentioned, like the form and the things that I think that she did really well and the writing on a sentence level was very beautiful, but there's nothing about it that wowed me enough to give it a full razzle. Like I wouldn't like, it's like, oh my God, this was one of the best books I've ever read. Or like, I think it's a good book. And um, maybe if I had like spent more time with it and we like spent some more time analyzing, I think it's a really important book, but I just can't give it a full razzle because I don't have the kind of like enthusiasm for it that I would give a full razzle. So nothing in particular other than that. Yeah. I gave it a razzle frat, like but more leaning towards the razzle. I don't have a like a proportion. But um basically I I enjoyed the feminist themes, including the women that perpetuated it, like that I said that earlier. Um I felt <sighs> I was conflicted because like on some levels I felt like it lacked sympathy for people that suffered from PTSD because he was like throughout the whole thing kind of be calling been called crazy. I don't know if that was Wolf saying he was crazy or if it was Wolf saying it in the voice of others um, and like showing like a somewhat disdain for the war, which I think she did actually have disdain for the war, but also disdain for the people that had suffered for it from it, which they might or might not have like had the choice to go to war, especially with the drafts and everything. Um, and I think that's where my frat is coming from is like, she as a writer was born into an affluent family. She also had a mental illness. They said she had bipolar disorder, but like the perpetuation of stereotyping mental illnesses, even as someone who is afflicted by it still sometimes leaves a better taste in my mouth. So like, 
I enjoyed her other stuff more. Like yeah. I've read Room of One's Own. I'm not saying it's perfect feminist writing or anything of that nature, but I definitely enjoyed that more than I enjoyed this. And I don't know if this just feels too much like a diary entry to me of her just like spilling out all her thoughts on these subjects that she hones later in her skills and writing. I also don't know the timeline of her writing. So <laughs> again, my lack of um, research shows, but I think... I think discussing with you also helped me kind of look at it differently too for someone who just read it, whereas like I've sat on it for a couple months. So um, I kind of like that fresh perspective from you. Um, but anyways, uh, we will stop talking about Wolf for now. Um, we can always watch whatever happened to Virginia Wolf, which is a funny, it's not funny at all. It's a wild show, but um, totally not related. But Anyways, let's maybe wrap up since it's been a long time. Um, <laughs> and before we go, though, a little bit of uh, news on what we're reading or what's on our TBRs because we're a little bit, I'm a little bit motivated now to read some more. So what are you planning on reading in the next few weeks? I have had The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley on my nightstand slash, well, it's not really a nightstand, it's a language shelf. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I've had it next to my bed for months now, and I really like Lucy Foley, and um, she just writes kind of like, you know, thrillery stuff, but I really like her, so I'm going to give that one a try. And also, my sister got me for Christmas a Riverhead book called Trespasses by Louise Kennedy, which is about um, the... Um, oh my gosh, like Ireland in like the 90s, 2000s. I can't think of the name. The the big rift between the Protestants and Catholics. The and, Troubles? Yes, thank oh. you. <laughs> yes, The Troubles, Um, which it seems like really interesting. And it's like about a woman who falls in love with someone she's not supposed to. It's kind of like a forbidden love, kind of Romeo and Juliet thing. Um, And I don't know, I think that it's going to be really good. So I'm excited to start that. It's in my bag right now, actually. And maybe A Court of Thorns and Roses after talking to you about how much you enjoyed it. And everybody else, like, everyone I talked to is like, oh my gosh, you have to read it. Yeah. So maybe I just need to go buy, like, a cheap mass market copy. And, and Yeah, it's, yeah. like, I, I don't like YA. Um, so, like, it does start out as YA vibes. Yeah. Um, but I read it for a book club and then I like put it down for months and then I just picked up the rest of the series and it definitely develops better as writing. I personally also just like the fact that it's influenced a lot by like fairy tales and myths and stuff like that. I like the myth esque because I'm I like a I like Greek myths and all that kind of jazz. So I'm you always... Percy Jackson no, writer. I never read any of those. I read a couple of them when I was in middle school and I really liked them because I really liked myths too. Yeah, I know I don't know why I actually read, like, about Greek myths, though. I never read the stories mm -hmm. centered around them until, I mean, I've read Cersei and all that now, but, like, nope, I was too busy reading about dragons and shit. <laughs> so, anyways, um, that was a weird, kid. But I joined another book club <laughs> for work. So, um, it's not, like, required of work, but a couple of the colleagues reached out and invited me in. So, um, I'll be reading for them, but... The book that I read the with them isn't coming out until August, I want to say. So I can't really, I guess I can't talk about it. 
I, I could say the name. It's called Bridge, but it's oh, not. right, because you work. Yeah, because like I work with. Yeah, so oh, we read like cool. a we read the galley for it. Ooh. So, um, that was interesting, and actually, we all got together to talk about it, and the editor came, talked about it. So, um, nice. Oh, that's cool. Like we answered any questions that anybody had. Uh, but anyways, I am currently reading The Idiot by Elif Batuman. Um, it's like one of those books that like you always gets recommended when like you read um, any of those I want to say miserable female characters <laughs> that just go through daily activities and have somewhat of a mundane life but you're just still going to read it anyway um, it doesn't sound appealing I know uh, but I, send, I seem to like those Nice. <laughs> like you know essentially like a character that you don't really root for and you're like why the fuck am I reading about you yeah. but it's like I also want to know why this is a book yeah. so interesting um I like it so far I've been reading it a lot on the train to work we'll see um I'm trying to only read one book at a time for the most part just because then I'll be more inclined to finish because if I get overwhelmed I'll yeah. I'll just stop altogether. <laughs> but um I'm hoping that we can kind of keep keep going a little and keep it up. Who knows? Yeah. Consistency is key. Yes. Um and speaking of consistency, do you wanna lead us out on yes. our uh little thing that we always like to say? Be sure to follow more of our bookish antics on our bookstagrams at there's ink on my hands and grapes underscore of underscore ash. Share Razzle Frat with friends, lovers, even enemies. Share the wealth of this gem of a pod and feel free to leave a review or comment in Apple Podcasts. Also check out our podcast Instagram at Razzle Frat Pod. Come for the books, stay for the coffee-fueled conversation. Until then, we shall bid you adieu. That's Razzle Frat. <laughs>